Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Luke 12 and verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Can you hear that conversation? Master, can you talk to my brother? Uh, I can just imagine Jesus, he was, he was man. Uh, what are you getting me into the mix on this one for? Um, but uh, verse number 14, and he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? So Jesus was very candid with him. Don't bring me into the mix on this one. But he does get to the heart and he said unto them, take heed and beware of, what is it church? Covetousness, covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Right there, Jesus just basically debunked, he that has the most toys wins. Right? It doesn't consist in all of that. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruit and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, let's read together, thou fool. Ooh. Now think about it. Don't don't run past that. (laughs) Do you hear what God just said? Thou fool. You know, I wonder if God says that type of stuff today. I guess he still does because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't want to be called a fool. Unfortunately, I probably have been at times. And you too. Thou fool. That's a really heavy statement right there. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then, whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Where it's all going to be then. So he that layeth up treasure and notice for himself and is not rich toward men. Let's read that verse again together. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's be seated and let's ask the Lord to help us this morning to quicken our hearts, to make us alive, to give us tension, and also teach us. Would you pray, would you bow there this morning and just ask the Lord to be your teacher, to be your guide? And even as you bow, you know that we're talking about our resources, what we have, what God has given to us, would you also tell the Lord that you're willing just to hear him speak to you about those things? 
Our Father, today we're grateful for the privilege to be able to gather together in this place. This building is not your church. The church is sitting in the pews. The church is spread across the building. Lord, we're grateful to be a part of this body. Thank you for teaching us what it is to look like. Help us to always be unified around the truth. And Lord, this morning, I ask that you would unify our hearts around this truth. This truth that in your economy, we can have hope. Lord, there's so much hopelessness all around us, especially in relation to economies. Lord, I pray that you would quicken your people, that you would strengthen your people, that you would give expectation in you concerning our resources and what you provide for us. Thank you for the strength that you gave us to wake up this morning, to be here. Thank you for the health that you've given. Thank you for the strength that you'll give to go to the jobs you provided tomorrow. Thank you for those jobs. Thank you for the, the paychecks that you provide your people. Thank you for all that you give us. Lord, the choir sang this song. We, we have so much to praise you for. This week, Lord, no doubt many here in Ohio complained about the snow, but we thank you for the snow. We thank you that you gave us such a beautiful, vivid reminder of how you wash us white as snow. Lord, I just pray that you would give us a heart of gratitude, but a heart that is fixed and focused on you. And so I ask for your anointing in this time for both myself and, and the listeners. And Lord, I pray that you just do your work. We don't have anything to, to get across or ramrod. Lord, we just must look at your word and allow it to speak to our hearts. So give us that tender heart and uh, help us to be still and know that you are God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. 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 So I, I did want to come here this morning and, and really uh, communicate a, a preparatory message for next week. And as we've started this, this year, we've come through January, we're in the middle uh, to latter, uh, latter middle of February already, and, and life just keeps running by, right? It just, it's just on, on the move. And uh, finances is a real part of our lives. It's, it's a real part of what you do every single day. You go to work um, to, to gain finances, to um, provide for your bills and provide for your family. Uh, finances are just a, an integral part of our lives. And I, I do realize that many times in the context of church, there's been a lot of abuses. I've watched and I've mentioned to you before about uh, some of the abuses of, of mega church or some of the health, wealth, and prosperity, uh, where they'll tell you about their 40,000 square foot house and they're on their two jets and that type of stuff, and you just expect the congregation to applaud with that and just be all, all good with that. I can guarantee you I don't have a 40,000-foot uh, house, and I can also guarantee you I have no jets in hiding. Um, but I, I can say this. What I'm going to preach to you this morning, the Lord has um, had to teach me over the years. And so I don't teach you. I, I, it, it bewilders me when, when pastors talk about, well, should a pastor tithe? Well, yes, a pastor should tithe. Should a pastor give offerings? Yes, a pastor should give offerings. Uh, the reality is we're all in this together. So I, I, I communicate this to you, and I, what I really want us to really grab a hold of is not uh, that God wants your money, but God wants your heart. God wants you. And when he has you, there's no issue. And I want us to also realize this kind of a big concept is that God owns everything anyway. If God wanted your job to be gone tomorrow, it'd be gone tomorrow. If he, if he desired to take that from you, promotion comes from the Lord, doesn't it? And so we have to just really... Um, stop in the midst of a very busy culture that is constantly out of focus when it comes to resources and finances and really come into focus with God and his word. And when we do, there's hope. And when we don't, there's not hope. Now, I could ask for a raise of hands, but I guarantee there are folks right now who are hopeless in their finances. 
there's no, there's no way out, you're struggling, you're frustrated with it, and there's no way out. There is hope inside of God's economy, but we must put his principles in place. What I find oftentimes is we get ourselves into a mess financially, and we, we think, well, once I get myself out, once I figure this out, then I'll start honoring the Lord. No, you have the wrong, you have the wrong perspective. You start honoring the Lord and let the Lord begin to help you out. You didn't come to Jesus and say, I'm going to clean up my life and then I'll ask for salvation. No, you came to him and asked for salvation and he helped you, right? Help me out, right? This is the same. It's the same all the way throughout life. You and I need God's help in our finances, don't we? And we're going to learn some principles today and next week that are going to be a help, help to us. They're not to get more money out of you. If you have that perspective about any of the, the messages or the times that we speak about money here, you have the wrong perspective. The right perspective is God has a mission for us to be involved in. God has a purpose for your life. And if you will submit yourself and surrender to that, and mainly, first of all, give yourself back to God, God is going to show you some amazing things. He's going to work wonders in your, in your life and family. And I guarantee you, and we'll have some testimonies along the way, I guarantee you, you honor the Lord with what he's commanded you to do. He will honor you. He will he is not, he's not going to uh, um, uh, refuse to repay what, he, uh, what you have done for him. Uh, God is good in that way, and he does give many blessings, and I'm sure many of you can attest to that, and I hope that you'll speak to one another about that, that matter. But the economies of this world are constantly in flux, are they not? I, I remember, and this isn't a political thing, I, I'm not taking any sides on uh, anything by, by um, making this statement, but I, 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 did, I did find interest in the interview with, uh, with uh, Putin of Russia just to hear what was going on in his mind, and I watched through that, and I, I realized he was, he was in that interview kind of mocking the American dollar, and I realized, oh, man, I, the world is kind of watching the American dollar and just watching it weakening and watching us print uh, money over and over and over, and they're saying, what are you doing? This is, you know, that's your security. What are you doing? And we're just, uh, we're just going on as a nation. Our, our economy is in trouble. And we, we feel that. You feel that at the grocery store. You feel that when you go to buy a car. You feel that when you go to, to buy a house. There's so much struggle. And, and, and our economy affects the, the world economy and, and so on. And, and so there's a lot of flux and uncertainty. Yet in the middle of all this, there's Americans that are very, very covetous. Wouldn't you agree? We're very greedy. We want more and more and more, but also there's many Americans, including Christians on both of these issues, that are full of worry and anxiety. And it seems like the more we have, we never get rid of the worry or anxiety. So something in the economies of this world and the way the world says to go about it doesn't work. It still produces a want for more, and it still produces worry and anxiety. In fact, it seems that money only magnifies worry and anxiety. You have more more to manage if it's not submitted to the Lord. And many, many wealthy people would say that their, their money, their income, their wealth, and uh, it, it just meant that it means that more uh, stress has been added to their life. And so it's not a message against wealth at all. God gives wealth. He's a giver of wealth, and he's a provider. It really is a message about uh, where's your heart? Uh, who do you belong to? Who, do you, who does your resources belong to have you told the lord about these things i want us to realize that jesus deals with this directly brother ron already read the parallel passage in in the book of matthew and we heard that verse that jesus brings it all down to seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness that's where we need to be not seeking first our paychecks 
Paychecks are important, but seeking first the kingdom of God. Not seeking first our retirement, that's important, but seeking first the kingdom, this, um, the kingdom of God. And so I want us to notice how that Jesus works with his disciples, but it all starts with this very, this very uh, interesting conflict. So let's notice, first of all, a caution that Jesus gives against covetousness. A caution that Jesus gives against covetousness. And it all revolves around this relational conflict between these two brothers. I mean, I can, I can almost picture places I've been and heard these two battles go on in, in the 2000s. I've sat in, in, uh, in funeral planning serv- uh, services or uh, meetings and where two sides of the family get all grumpy about money and clear the room. And they're, they're all upset because someone's getting the car and they're not getting the car. Or someone's getting this and they're not getting this. It, it's pretty amazing how quickly people can get into a conflict over money. Wouldn't you agree about that? Have you seen that even in your own immediate and extended family? In fact, there's statistics that say Ram, uh, Ramsey, Dave Ramsey uh, said this, that, that it is the number one reason that couples fight in a marriage is over the issue of money. Money is a big deal. It, it affects us very, very uh, uh, keenly. And Jesus says to this, this man that says, I, I want you to go to my brother and tell him to divide the money to me. Give me my portion of the inheritance. Was it his right? Couldn't Jesus said, just do the right thing, folks. Divide the, uh, the, the inheritance in the right way. He could have, but there was a greater issue at, at, uh, at, at play here, and the issue was what was motivating the, the quarrel, was motivating the animosity toward, um, between two brothers. It's amazing how, how money can divide family, can divide blood. Amen? Right? So he, he gets to the motive, and aren't you thankful that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It gets right to the motive of a matter. And so Jesus exemplifies that for us here, and he says, listen, I'm not your judge, and I'm not going to be your arbiter. I'm not going to stand in the midst of this and, and, and debate this out. Let me get to the real matter. Beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. It's greediness that has motivated you to be squabbling with each other over these finances. You think that life is all about these finances, and so you've come to me. I don't know you. Jesus knows them, but you don't, you don't know me. You've come up to me as a, as a teacher in your town, and you've come and brought this problem to, to me. There was a story told about a man who was trying to get rid of some poison ants, some, uh, some ants that would sting. And so he goes out there, and around their ant hill, he, he drips, he drips the, the ant poison, that they would grab, it, it, it resembled food, it, it would smell to them like food, they would grab and they would bring it back into their uh, ant colony and eventually it would kill off the ant colony. So he comes back to, to check it a, a little while later and, and realizes they, they were still carrying it into the ant colony, but there was also some of the poison that was being carried off and away from the colony. And then he followed this, this ant trail and realized that that another group of ants that were not stinging ants were going over robbing the food and bringing over the robbing the food that was actually poisoned, bringing it over to their ant colony, a perfectly good colony that, that he wasn't having a problem with, but uh, it was going to kill off them as well. And it's a, just a powerful reminder of the reality that, that, that coveting after, wanting what somebody else has will bring a poison into our own soul. You and I 
we think, oh, it's just a little bit of covetousness. I want that vehicle. I want that house. I want that geographic location. I want that relationship. But the reality is covetousness will poison your soul. And so Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Beware. Be on guard against it. The love of money, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. It did not say that money was the root of all evil. It said the love of money is the root of all evil. I think we get that mixed up sometimes and, and people think that preachers are constantly talking against money. No, we need money in order to live, in order for the work of God to go forward. We need money. I'm talking about all of us collectively. We need money in order to do what God has called us to do. But the reality is when we shift from just the need of money and taking what God has provided for us to loving money and making it our God, the Bible goes on to say, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The power of covetousness is to actually cause a person to err from the faith. To depart from God. Why? Because covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is putting possessions or money in the place of God. We worship it instead of God. And so God gave us the final commandment in Exodus 20 in verse number 17. Thou shalt not covet. And there he goes into much more detail. Thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Nor his manservant. Nor his maidservant. Nor his ox nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. We're not to covet. And we live in a day where, oh, uh, even, even in the world, oh, it's okay to look, it's okay to, to, uh, to want as long as I don't touch. No, God says, don't covet. Don't covet. Covetousness is one of the things that even in the early church that they would, they would um, provide church discipline for. Because when a person is coveting, they're erring from God. Now, it would be quite a thing to begin using church discipline when we talk about that, calling a person into account within the body. It would be quite a scary thing to begin church disciplining in the American church for covetousness. We are known for it. It is a sin of our country. And unfortunately, it's not just a sin of our country, it's a sin of God's people. God says, don't covet, beware of it, beware of it. Covetousness causes me to react. Anytime there is, God says, I want to talk to you about your finances, the covetous heart reacts. No, let me go to the Bible. I'm going to tell you, that's not what God actually says and try to reason ourselves out of it. But from the beginning, from the very first mention in, in Abraham's life, we find the heart that is responding to the goodness and the blessing of God wants to give. It wants to give back to God. And even before God had commanded his people to do so in the law, it was a, a pattern that was set all the way through. And God says, hey, I'm not trying to, to rain on your parade. I'm not trying to mess you up. What I'm trying to say is your heart you're, you're either going to go after me or you're going to go after covetousness. And when you go after covetousness, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. You know that it's not just a rich man's thing to be covetous. You know we can be very, very poor and be very covetous. Always wanting what someone else has. 
and getting grumpy when it doesn't come to us. God, why don't you give that to me? And God says, Jesus says to this, this brother, you need to beware of covetousness because that is what is causing you to be at odds with your family member. That's what's causing you to be divided in your family. And you know it can cause a church to be divided too. And it can cause a marriage to be divided too. And it can cause you to be divided from your dad or divided from your grandfather. It can cause many relationships to be ruptured over covetousness. What does that look like? Jesus gives a story. He gives a story of a, a farmer. And it's a very relatable story. He uses a parable. A parable is a short moral story with a symbolic meaning. Jesus often used them to, uh, to teach truth to those that were hungry, but then also to conceal truth from those that were rejecting him. And so he used this parable to, uh, to communicate a truth to that, that group that was there and even this, this young man that was having all this problem over this inheritance. And so we look at verse number 16. We see that the ground of a certain rich man. And I want us to notice that, that in Jesus giving this parable, 16 out of the 29 parables recorded in Scripture relate to possessions and money. That's nearly half. You say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about money or money's not important to Jesus. Yes, it was, and so wasn't the provision from God important. You remember Peter? Oh, Jesus, we don't have money to pay our taxes. Go down and go fishing. The first fish you catch, look inside of its mouth. Well, look at the bigness of God. That little, um, that little fish thought it picked up something shiny. It was, it was nice, couldn't really um, get it down the throat, but it was for Peter. God has amazing ways of, of providing the resources. And we get all fretful, like, how are we going to do this? And, and Jesus says, hey, I want you to realize I'm not trying to ruin you by talking about these things. I'm trying to help you. And if we'll listen to our creator, he will help us. Don't you agree? He will. So notice this self-focused farmer or agriculturalist, this man that plants a field, and he thinks, boy, I got a good crop this time. This is amazing. And it doesn't it seem like sometimes the rich always seem to succeed? It seems like they're always just making on big deals and, and moving ahead. And I see that here in this passage. The rich man, he's already rich and he brought forth plentifully. And part of that is because he, he put some thought into it. He was, he was calculated in how he did it, but he brought forth plentifully but the problem really arises when we begin to read verse number 17 and he thought within himself and what follows is a is a is just an outflow of his self-centeredness of his self-focus in fact if you read these verses verses uh, 17 down through verse number uh, uh, 22 we find that this man uh, in 66 words refers to himself some 14 times have you ever been around a person that just is constantly referring to themselves? It just always loops. It's like a, it's like a broken record. It just kind of always comes back and talks to himself. God, help us with that, by the way. If the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you about that or tell you in a conversation, stop talking. He might be trying to help you to stop being self-focused and start asking a question about somebody else. By the way, that's a great way to fellowship with one another is to start asking questions and get get off of self and start asking questions. How can I bless them? How can I encourage them? This man was all about himself. Money did not change him. His success did not change him. It only revealed him. It only revealed him. And it's the same for us today. 
You give a person money, and it will reveal what they really are before the Lord and before others. So he was self-focused, but he's also very boastful. Did you, did you see this? Verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease and eat, drink, and be merry. He felt his success and his storing up. Remember, he's going to tear down barns, build new ones, bigger ones, to just store it up. It doesn't say that he was going to be like a Joseph and make it available to people and help the community or help his family. It just says he was going to take, he was going to take glory in the reality. He had a lot laid up, and he didn't need to worry into the future. So it's almost like he is, he is hoarding this all. He's amassing it all. And all of his prepping, his prepping, and storing it up, for the years to come, caused him to say, you know what? I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I think uh, across our nation, we, uh, we hear the uncertainty, and one of the responses that the ungodly do is, is they start storing up. And they have no expectation in God, so they become very, very fearful about the future. And so their hope becomes in what they store up. You start following all the ads for these, these three-month kits, and I'm, you know what? There is, there is good, the Bible says, the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. So there's a balance here. God doesn't tell us to be dumb. He's given us a mind. We should prepare. We should think about, about the future. But there's a difference between preparing and putting your hope in those preparations. Right? Amen. Help me out here. Y'all, don't get quiet here in the, in the service, okay? Okay. Um, this man put his hope in his preparations. It was his God. It was what he was finding satisfaction and peace and security in. And the Bible tells us that's very, very foolish on our parts. The Bible tells us in James 4, 13 through 16, that we aren't to, we aren't to be like the, the lost man that says, hey, I'm going to go here tomorrow and there tomorrow, and I'm buying, I'm going to sell, and I'm going to make gain. He says, no, you should say if the Lord wills. You ever hear a, a, a Christian say, Lord willing, I will see you tomorrow. Do you know where that comes from? The book of James. Because that is an acknowledgement that my times are in his hands. And so you and I need to be very, very careful about getting the same boastful attitude that the world has. I have a retirement, therefore I'm good. Really? Maybe not. Retirements can go like that. Did we not live through 2008? Did not people lose millions of dollars? in the midst of all that but those that had god and god had them and they knew that their faith wasn't shaken but i'll tell you those that laid that up and their hope was in that even bible believers they erred from the faith they struggled now i believe the lord wants us to be wise and and what what is being taught here isn't a condemnation of savings but it is a condemnation of putting your hope in things and possessions and wealth and what you lay up more than your hope in God. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. In fact, James 4 and verse number 16 says, but now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. God says, when we boast like the lost man about what we've laid up and what we're going to do tomorrow, we are evil. That, that rejoicing is evil, that's wrong, it's grievous to the Lord. So may the Lord strengthen us to help us to have his perspective. Notice this divine assessment in verse number 20. 
we already read, thou fool. Thou fool. You think you have all this? You're all set. You're going you're gonna to be great from here on out. And he says, this night thy, thy soul shall be required. This night, God had already planned his demise or allowed his demise. I remember back to Belshazzar. You remember going through Daniel chapter number five? You remember how he says, hey, here's these goblets. We're going to praise the gods of gold and silver using the vessels from the temple. And it's all good. And oh, there's some writing on the wall. Someone needs to answer that and, and, and give the interpretation. Finally, Daniel comes in, gives the interpretation. He says, hey, Daniel, if you give this interpretation, I'm going to give you position. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you raiment. All these things are going to be yours. And he answers, and he says, listen, God has weighed your kingdom, and he's found it wanting, and this night, this night, the, Bab- um, the Persians are coming in to undermine you and take you out. This night, your soul's going to be required of thee. And once he's done giving the interpretation, Belshazzar says, bring the garments, bring the wealth, bring the, um, the proclamation of, of position, and goes on with his life as if God had said nothing. That's scary. That is scary. And so here's this man. God gives an assessment this night, this night, it's over. We don't know when it's over. We don't know. Our life could change this week. We could see Jesus this week. Life is a vapor. It appears but for a moment. C.T. Studd said that only this life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. The divine assessment here is that you've acted foolishly, sir. When you die, Jesus asked in this parable, who's going to have all your wealth that you laid up? Where's all that food and plenty going to go when you die? Who's going to be delivered to? It's very interesting. Roy Williams of the Williams Group, he, he focuses on helping Um, wealth passed from one generation to the next, preparing heirs to receive wealth and and manage it. And he said this, that nearly 60% of the time, family's money is exhausted by the children of the person who created the wealth. In 90% of the cases, it's gone by the time the grandchildren die. You listen to the story about Sam Walton of Walmart and how so much of the, um, his fortune and wealth was mismanaged once it got to the next generations. How many of you have a longer burger basket at home? I, I guess I'm talking mostly to the ladies. I don't think they have anything for guys. But uh, have you ever seen a longer burger office building over in Newark? It, it, it's quite a, quite a crazy building. Um, longer burger, it's an actual basket. I mean, and I think it's like five stories, six stories tall. I forget what it is. Um, how many did someone say? Six. Um, but anyway, longer burger basket was an empire. It was a mil, uh, $1 billion company with more than 8,000 employees and 70,000 sales associates. It slowly unraveled in the nearly two decades since its founder's death. That building has been sold. I think that building got sold for $6 million under, under um, its value. $6 million. Where is that, that fortune today? Much of it is laid at, the, um, the fault of it is laid at his daughter's, his daughter's feet. 
So I'm just saying, Jesus asked a very relatable question when he said, where's your money going to be when you die? Where's it going to go? Who's going to have it? What effect is it going to have on eternity after you die? When you die, your riches laid up on earth does nothing for you. Now the Bible, to balance that out, does say that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his, uh, his children. So it's not to say you don't leave anything. It is to say you need to, be, you need to even be thinking about that. You have some responsibility for how you manage the, the wealth that God gives you even, even as you face the end of life. And so there's a practical application here. He that layeth up for himself, treasure for himself, uh, the man that lays it up, he's, he's either rich towards God or he is rich towards himself. This man in the, in the parable was rich towards himself. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. So is he. This man has it all, but this night, that night, it was going to be required of him. And Jesus said, then where is it all going to be? And there's a difference between that and being rich toward God. Let me ask you a question today. Are you rich towards God? Are you rich towards God? God did not say you have to give away all your money in order to be rich towards God. He did. He does make the point that it's not massing it for myself and all my trust is in him. He does talk about this matter of us being rich towards God and having our hearts given towards him, committed to him, but this man was nothing of the sort. It was all about him. I, I, we, me, my barns, my stuff. Lord wants us to lay up things in heaven as we learned a little bit ago. Being rich in this world and being rich towards God are two different realities. They really are. And what the world measures as richness is not, not so good for the child of God to be involved in. And I want to just make a, a point here. Much of our world's thinking about retirement in, in our day um, is very, very focused on when I get retired, then I can go do whatever I want and live a very leisurely life, living for myself. You know, God, if God's allowed you to build up a retirement, let me just ask you, what are you going to do for God during that re those retirement years, during those years that you are freed to serve? Well, I'm going to travel the world. Well, how about travel the world and preach the gospel? So much of the American retirement is consuming for self and self-focus. Some of the most blessed believers are those that take the, the sunset years of their life and they give them to God. I think of uh, Wayne Snyder. Some of you remember him. Do you know what they did in retirement? They did furlough replacement. Do you know what... Do you know what... Uh, Roger Crowder. Remember I was down in Brazil? preaching in that church with Miss Kim. Do you know what he did in his retirement years? Went to Brazil and spent the next 25 years planning a church and a seminary and a college. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's amazing that God can use those years of your life that the world moves towards and says, if I can just get there, ah, then I can be happy and I can do what I want to do and I can go where I want to go. God has a purpose for you in your retirement. So yes, lay up, but use that time for the glory of God. Well, should I just stay there? 
Am I right? Look forward to those, those years. And yes, God gives blessing. God gives us all things richly to enjoy, but oh, how covetousness can undermine all that. May the Lord help us with that. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So Jesus said, beware of covetousness. Beware of covetousness. And so I want us to realize that Christ's disciples were, were gathered around, heard this exchange, and Christ turns the attention to them. Would you look at verse number 22? Look at verse number 22 with me. And it says here, and he said unto his disciples, disciples. There are some messages that Jesus points more directly at his disciples and says, I have some more things to teach to you in this moment. And so that's exactly what he did. He taught them a, a particular message in this moment. And he wanted to teach them not to be covetous, but to, to consider the care that God has toward them. Notice in verse number 22, notice how he, he urges them to consider that God is their provider. God is the owner of all things and that he is the owner and provider of everything that a disciple needs and has. Everything that a disciple needs and has. So there's no need for worry. Look at verse number 22, and he said to his disciples, therefore I say unto you, read with me, take no thought for your life, nor, or what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Now consider that. Jesus says, I want you to consider these realities. And I want you to realize there is no need to be worried. There's no need to take thought, to be full of anxiety and to be full of worry. And, and in fact, this is a command. He says, you don't take thought. You stop taking thought. You stop being anxious. He's not saying be careless. He's not saying be dumb about it or to, to not be wise about the future or not to lay aside. He is saying stop worrying. Now, does that strike our hearts? Because we oftentimes worry. God is not against us uh, making, making right steps and honoring him and being prepared, but he is against us being worried and full of anxiety over these matters. Notice what he says, over your life, your lifespan. Over the groceries that you eat, over your physical body. One of the things that Brother Perez told me is it's sweeping down there in, 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 uh, in, in uh, where was I? Uruguay. He, he said that uh, folks get so consumed with the gym that they go there and they spend their Sundays there rather than going to church. And it became a, it's become a culture. You know, it's a huge culture in our, in our country as well. It's not saying we don't go to the gym, we don't work out, we don't exercise. No, not at all. But we become obsessed with it. And Jesus says, you don't take thought, you don't worry and be full of anxiety over your body. You can't add to, add to your height. You can't add to your hair. You can't, uh, you can't uh, change uh, who you are, how God has created you to, uh, uh, to be. He says, don't worry and be full of anxiety over your body or over clothing. We live in a culture that's obsessed with clothing. You go to the thrift store and find perfectly good stuff. Why? Because someone liked it for a little bit and then donated it. It's amazing how obsessed our culture is with brands and identity and what I have and these shoes and what, whatever. It's amazing. Jesus says, listen, for the child of God, for you as disciples, don't be obsessed, don't be worried, don't be anxious over these things. 
he uh, responded to Satan when Satan tried to give him, uh, give him things. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So life isn't just about what you eat. Life isn't just about what you have. Life isn't about your body. You're so much more than these things. You're a spirit and a soul that will live for all of eternity and has a great potential to impact eternity. Matthew 8.36 or Mark 8.36, For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So you, you have it all. You have a long life. You, you have all the food that you need. You have all the body that you need you have all the the clothing that you need or or whatever want in these arenas and and you have all that but you lose your soul what profit is it none and sadly this philosophy inches into creeps into that i like that word creeps into the church creeps into the hearts the uh, of the disciples of christ and that's why jesus is challenging his disciples you don't be worried and full of anxiety over these things I would imagine if we pulled the church and pulled churches that we'd find that there's more anxiety and worry over these matters inside the church than we'd like to believe. And we need to take what Jesus is saying to the disciples, stop, stop. It's a command. You say, well, I wonder what God's going to teach me at church today. Right here would be a good start. Stop. You're full of worry. It's time to stop and get your eyes on him. You're full of anxiety time to stop and get your eyes on him he knows what your need is he knows the food you need he knows the 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 health that your body needs he knows all these things he knows how long you're going to live submit it to him you can go around constantly trying to protect your life from every every little danger god knows when your time is done I could never go to a foreign mission field. I could never take that trip because what happens if the plane went down friends god knows we need to trust him. Why can we trust him? Why do we have no need for worry? Because there's no end of God's care. Look at verse number 24. Consider the ravens. Now these are kind of nasty birds. Will you agree with me? Eee. By the way, wasn't, uh, wasn't it Elijah that was fed by a raven? God has unique ways of providing for his own. But consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. I was watching the birds yesterday morning out in the snow, and there's some pretty birds out in our yard. They're just happy. Not like the rest of Ohio's, I can't wait till winter is over. We talk about some major grumps when it came to uh, just getting a little bit of snow. Praise God, we got a beautiful snow. I mean, it's just wonderful. And the birds are out there happy, and they're fluttering around, and and God gave them the warmth they need. They got to puff out their, their um, my daughter saw a robin. That's a big robin. It's probably its feathers are all puffed out. Why? God gave them the warmth, the clothing that they need. He says, in response to this, isn't a raven, isn't, aren't you more valuable to me than a raven? Yes. He made you in his image. He breathed his breath into your lungs. You have his life in you. You are much more valuable. You're an eternal soul, and he feeds them. Why are you worried? Well, the grocery prices, man, they're high. Yes, they're high. It's unbelievable what it costs to get a cart of food. But the reality is God knows. And I don't know if there's, are we going without? God providing for the needs as we're honoring him? 
God says, consider your food. The ravens, the ravens have what they need. I'll take care of you. Consider your lifespan. It's interesting to me. You can't add one, one inch to your, one cubit to your stature. I was looking into the word stature. It has the specific meaning of not, not how high you are, how tall you are, but it has the specific meaning of lifespan. Lifespan. You can't add another step to your life. When God says your time is done, you can't even add another 18 inches of step to your life. You're done. There is an appointed time. It is appointed unto man once to die. There is a time where our life will expire. You can't worry about it, but yet so many Christians worry about it. So many parents, one of the things is we uh, allow the Lord to work in our lives about, about missions. One of the things that holds families back and holds children back from going to the mission field is their parents. Well, if they go there, I, I don't know, will I ever see them again? You need to give their life to God too. You need to trust that the Lord will take care of them no matter where they are in the world and no, no matter how far away you are from them. You can't add to their life. You can't add to your life. And if you can't do that, if you can't add another 18 inches to your, to your life, another, another step to your life, why are you worried about the rest of things? Why are you worried about the rest of the issues of life? Give it to God. Surrender it to God. Let him have control. He'll care for you. You can't worry about your clothing either. The lilies of the field. You stop and think about that. God says that he's clothed them, he's adorned them with such beauty and, and even more so than Solomon in all his glory. And that withers. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And God says, aren't you more important to me than grass? Then stop worrying about your clothes. My care for you is total. My care for you is complete. You say, well, I don't have everything I want. Maybe our standard here in America is just a little too high. And that's one of the good reasons for us to go outside of the country and to see what other Christians are enjoying life with. I keep referring to our friends, the Gilmores over in, in Papua New Guinea, and I'm getting on daily pictures from there. I'm just amazed. Their churches are gathering there are a different time frame gathering uh, today already and preaching the gospel and children and ladies groups and, and Bible studies for men. And, and they're gathering the women, the women, the women. We're not talking about teenage girls. The women are all just sitting on the grass receiving the word. Well, you'd have a conniption in America if you decided to have church out in the grass. You'd especially have a conniption among the women. Come on, ladies, come on. Oh, we're sitting down out there? I'll get down, and I might never get up again. I saw some older ladies out there. <laughs> but the reality is we, get, we have such high, we have to have a building. It has to be this. It has to be, it has to be air conditioned. It has to be heated. It has to be all these things. We have all these high standards. God says, you know what? I'll take care of what you truly need. Consider these realities. We're anxious because we fail to believe. Didn't he say, and look at verse number 28. Let's read those five words out loud together. You don't know where you are. <laughs> There's many words there. Oh, ye of little faith. Let's say it together. 
Oh, ye of little faith. Hold on. Doesn't that sound just really harsh of the Lord Jesus to say? No. When you and I are full of worry and anxiety, the Lord has perfect right to say that to us. You are struggling in your faith. You have a little amount of faith. You have a little amount of belief in me. How big is your God? Well, the pastor's talking about tithing. I don't like that. How big is your God? God's saying about giving everything back to him, surrendering to him. How big is your God? How big is he? He says we lack faith, and we lack faith in the fact that God is the owner and provider of all that a disciple has and needs. You know what you have in your bank account right now actually belongs to God. What's in my bank account belongs to God. The house belongs to God. The car belongs to God. My life belongs to God. And friends, as long as you are still the owner of your life and of your resources, or you think, or you lay claim to ownership, you will struggle with these realities. Really good step for all of us today would just simply say, Lord, everything I have, my life included, belongs to you. I sign it away to you. I'm giving it over to you. All the talk about finances in the Bible will not make sense until we give our lives over to the Lord. He says, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. I wonder what God thinks as he looks down as full of worry and anxiety. And he's like, man, if you just realize I have everything you need, if you just rest for a minute and trust me. If you just do what I told you to do, if you would just give right there, I, I gave you a perfect opportunity to bless somebody. I gave you a perfect opportunity to be involved in the work of the, the Lord around the world and you missed it because you're so focused in. If I give that, then I won't have. If I give that, it's going to lower my standard of living. Listen, if you give that, you're going to be able to partner with what God is doing in that person's life. You're going to receive a blessing far more than you can imagine. We get so cantankerous about issues of money because we're full of worry and anxiety and ultimately, as Jesus brings it down here, we're of little faith. We're of little faith. Doesn't he say here, neither be of a doubtful mind. Neither be of a doubtful mind. These things convict me because so many times, doubtful mind. May the Lord give us help. Our anxiety over these things, over our resources, and what we have indicates our world-likeness, not our God-likeness, not Christ-likeness. And we need the Lord to purify us in this. God already knows what we, we need. Warren Wearsby said it well. If we belong to God, then it is his obligation to care for us, so we need not to worry. Do you belong to God, or have you expressed that to him today? Have you as a couple expressed, we belong to God, our family belongs to God, our children belong to God, everything we own belongs to God. Give it to him. Let him be the, the caretaker of it. What are the disciples to do? Well, we're not to be covetous like that brother or like that rich farmer. We're also not to be full of worry and anxiety like is mentioned about many of these that worry about lifespan and about what they're going to eat and their body and and, uh, and, and what they're going to wear. Warren Wearsby also said, the rich are prone to covetousness and the poor are prone to worry. Both are sins. And the disciples should not be 
continuing in sin. We should put these things off. And so what is the command from Jesus to his followers? Look at verse number 31. Let's read it out loud together. Verse number 31, Luke 12, verse 31. Ready, begin. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, is God lying to us? No. But we struggle with that verse. When God puts in front of us something that he wants us to do for the kingdom, we struggle with that verse. We seek the kingdom second. Well, I'll give to God if everything else is taken care of first. No, God says, Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his ways, and all these things shall be added unto you. We get it reversed. I hear sometimes people, um, people um, preach this idea like, well, you know what, uh, like kind of stair-step towards obedience. If, if you, can't, you can't obey God, maybe, maybe do 1%, maybe do 2%, stair-step towards obedience. Friends, that, that right there is disobedience to God. God is putting something on our life, and he says, you obey, you follow through, you do what I've told you to do, and all these things, not might be, but shall be added unto you. I'm sure we'll hear the verses from Malachi, but God says, if you'll honor me and, and you'll give the tithe, I'll, I will pour out the windows of heaven. You prove me with that. I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you're not able to receive. What is God wanting us to do? To, to give, to get? No, that's not the idea. We should give by grace. We should not give driven by greed so that we get more in return. We should not give by guilt. Well, that's what the preacher says, or that's what, what I see that God's saying. Well, so I must do it. No, we should give by grace, motivated out of what God has done for us, who gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, you, me, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what in the world do I have that can equate to that? Nothing. He deserves it all. And I think we the more we grow in Christ, the more we just realize that and more we get, become comfortable in just saying, you know what, every time I give to God, he just gives me what I need. I find myself rejoicing in his goodness to me. And so here Jesus commands to his disciples uh, this command for kingdom citizens, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek, look after it, um, tend to it. The kingdom of God is that which is related to the realm or the authority of God, the reign of God, his plans, his purposes, his mission in the world. It's the things concerning what God is doing, not what my ambitions, but what God is doing. And so Luke 11 and 2, we are told, Jesus said, uh, we are to pray in the model prayer. And we'll be looking at that in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, in this model prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. That's to be the posture of our prayer. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Look after it, seek it, and it requires surrender on our part. It requires us to say, Lord, I'm not my own, and I am not here for my own purposes. I'm here for you and your kingdom and your purposes. All I want to do is serve your purposes. And we seek first in that way. I think we'll hear more uh, and get resources from this individual, but a man by the name of Ron Blue has been used to, uh, to give a lot of uh, insight into uh, stewardship as Christians. He says this, when we actively believe that God owns it all, we have nothing to fear because we have nothing to lose. 
want to challenge you today about this. Does God own everything that you have? The answer is yes, but do you realize it? Have you admitted it to him? Perhaps that would be a great first start today. If this is stirring in your heart, you say, I don't even know where to start because I, I, I feel like I'm kind of a mess. Don't, don't get all introspective thinking about all the problems. Just start with, God, you own it all, including my problems, and I need your help. I need your help. I think about that sometimes. When our children mess up and really make a big blunder, when they come to us and say, I need your help, don't you just delight in helping them? Do you think your Heavenly Father responds differently? When you just humbly admit, my finances are a mess and I need your help. Do you think he'll help you? I can guarantee you, you will find help in saying, Lord, it all belongs to you and I, I'm sorry for being late to the game and realizing that, but today I realize that and I'm just admitting that and I really desperately need your help. And I believe that he, uh, just get rid of everything, liquidate your house, get rid of your car, no, let's, let's understand that, that God says in Scripture, he gives all things richly to enjoy. He gives us things with which to serve him. But the idea here is to, to use what God has given you. Use your assets for the kingdom of God. Use your assets to be a giver, not a hoarder of possessions, not a hoarder of wealth, but use your assets to be giving as the Lord directs you, as the Lord has commanded you. Use your assets to give alms. Alms is the idea of to contribute money or goods to the poor, especially flowing from a disposition of kindness and compassion. So allow God to use what you already have. He didn't say go out and get from other people so that you can give. Use what you already have. You know that sometimes is something that's sitting around that you're not using anymore, and you can use it for the glory of God. You can use the resources that come from that, or you can develop that, uh, something that God has given you and use it for the glory of God. Set your God-given assets to work. I, I feel like preachers oftentimes go to the Scriptures and rest it. You know what? Scripture tells us many, many times in relation, Jesus' parables in and of themselves are an indication that Jesus was not shy about talking about giving in, in possessions. Do you know how many times that giving is mentioned in Scripture? 2,162 times throughout Scripture. That's more than the word believe, 271 times. More than the word prayer, 268 times. And more than the word love, 17, uh, 714 times all combined in its different forms of love. How did God express his love towards you and me? He gave. He gave. Friends, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What is the greatest expression of love? Giving. Giving. What is the expression of love of a husband towards a wife? Uh, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Gave. So let's not be afraid of this very big to uh, make your life so much better before him. You're going to find the purpose in that type of life, in that type of living, and I encourage you in that way. Let me give you a few illustrations and really a, a question to start with. How would you say, just look over the past week, how did you use your resources? How were they used to impact the kingdom of God? Um, 
did your resources go to anything? Your time, your energy, your monies, your possessions, your house, your car. Did, it, did they have any impact on eternity? Did they have any, any part in advancing the kingdom of God? That's what we are to be doing. We're to be setting our assets, what God has given us, to work in the kingdom of God. And God is going to give all of us opportunities for that this, this week because he's got a mission whom um, Benjamin Broombaal was the, the secretary of that, that mission. Uh, Hudson Taylor had much to do with that, uh, with that mission and starting it in China. Um, but they were together. Um, Benjamin was together at a friend's house and several other mutual friends uh, of the missionaries there in China. And he, he was talking about this letter that he'd received from this, uh, overwhelmed by this. It had really struck him. And uh, the letter went this way. In, and inside of this letter was this, this small monetary gift for the China Inland Mission and the advance of the gospel. It said this, I can do without meat, but the heathen in China cannot do without the gospel. He was very rebuked in that moment because he realized there are so many things we are self-indulgent and very few times that we give to the point that we have to do without something. You do not take to eat. Maybe he will. Maybe it will be skip a meal or skip something. But the heart there behind this lady was, there are, there are people that need the gospel and I have something that I can give to contribute to the advance of that and so I will. And I'll gladly do without. They begin... For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what that tells us? That when we invest our money in the kingdom of God, our heart's going to be there. When we invest our money in that whatever, I'm thinking cars, we invest our money in many believers that are more proud about their truck than their God or the kingdom of God or the work of God. They're more concerned that their truck doesn't get scratched or their 85-inch TV doesn't get toppled over, whatever it is anymore. These things are enormous anymore. We, we invest our, thing, our money in so many earthly things. God says, where you put your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. Are you giving to the work of the Lord? One of the things we teach all the new members coming into this church is that you ought to be invested in the work of God here. You ought to be tithing. You ought to be giving. You ought to allow the Lord to, to help you along the way. What you invest in, what you put money in, that is where your heart is going, is going to be. So is it in the things of earth or the things of God? So when we live in God's economy, there's no need for worry and anxiety. God has me. God has me. I don't have to worry. That is most vividly illustrated in the life of George Mueller. How many of you have heard of him or read after? Ministered to orphans in Bristol, England. And for many, many years, he, uh, he had just made it his commitment. He wouldn't tell anybody else about his needs. He would simply pray to God, and God would work in extraordinary ways. Uh, one morning, setting down at the breakfast table and having nothing for breakfast, and the milk, uh, the milk truck broke, out, uh, broke down outside of, the, outside of the orphanage, and he is found, can you use this milk? Also, a bread, a, a bread truck, as I remember, in the, a similar way. But God has ways of providing, and that's how George Mueller provided for the ministries. But listen to this quote from, from him. But God, our infinite, rich treasurer, remains with us. It is in this which gives me peace. 
Moreover, it pleases him with a work requiring about $264,000 a year, which would be $7.1 million a year in our, in our terms today, in buying power. Would I gladly pass through all of these trials of faith in regards to resources, if he might only be glorified in his church and the world benefited? I have placed myself in the position of having no resources at all left and 2,100 persons not only at the table but with everything else to be provided for and, and all the funds gone, 189 missionaries to be assisted and, and nothing whatever left and about 100 schools with 9,000 students in them to be entirely supported and no funds for them, about 4 million on tracks and tens of thousands of copies of the Holy Scriptures yearly now to be sent out and all the money expended I commit the whole work to him and uh, he will provide me with what I need in the future also, though I know not whence the means, the resources are to come. He lived his life that way. And the reason we still read about George Mueller is because of his life of faith in a God who owned everything and gave him everything he needed to do his will. Do you know what George Mueller did in the sunset years of his life? Till he was 92. He traveled the world with his bride and he preached the gospel, traveling over 200,000 miles in that day back in the 1800s, preaching in over 42 countries, preaching to 3 million people. It's not our lack of resources, it's our lack of faith in our God. It's not your lack of resources that causes you not to tithe, or not to give back to God when he prompts you. It's your lack of faith in God. And Jesus says to his, his sheep, O little flock, did you catch that in verse not, number 32? Let's end right here. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have all to look forward to. Fear not, little flock. It's not me saying that. That's your Savior. Fear not, little flock. Hope in him. Trust in him. Let's pray. You're living in one of two economies, either the economy of this world, which we are citizens of this world, but talking about being focused on it, or you're living in God's economy, which is full of hope, and he is the provider, he's the owner of all. I want you to say, Pastor, God's working in my heart today. I realize that there's a lot of covetousness that the Holy Spirit has uncovered. Thinking that I'd be satisfied if I just had a little more. God has exposed that covetousness to me. It's just real. I'm certainly not going to think any different of you. What I would do is, is pray for you, but ultimately I'd like, I'd like to just encourage us to to raise a hand to God. God's exposed that covetousness in my heart. Is there anyone like that that would say, that's, that's me. God's exposed that. Amen. Amen. God did that because he loves you. Because if you don't, if you don't get that taken care of, maybe two years from now, three years from now, maybe less, you have the potential of that sin causing you to err from the faith. We don't want that to happen. God loves you. I mean, you say, I've just been so full of worry and anxiety over finances because I had forgotten that God is the owner and the provider of all that I need. 
God really convicted me about this matter of being full of worry and anxiety. How many would say that to the Lord? Amen. Again, he loves you, and so he pointed that out to you this morning. I've been laying up riches for myself and my purposes instead of God's kingdom. And today I'm going to talk to the Lord about this matter of just saying it all belongs to you. How is God working in your heart related to that? Amen. Anyone else? God's working in my heart about this. Just saying it all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.